Max Verstappen beats Lewis Hamilton to a very popular home win at Zandvoort, leaving Mercedes to count its losses from a lack of strategic aggression. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and welcome to Round 13, the Dutch Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race strategy simulator. Download it for free for iOS and Android devices. The newly configured circuit Zandvoort has been an instant hit among the drivers, but the difficulty overtaking around the high-speed bends meant this was always going to be a race of strategy in the fight for track position. Polter to Max Verstappen got away easily from the line, but Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes had a plan to deprive him of the lead. Splitting strategies between Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, the two teammates would pincer the Dutchman after the first stops and force a fight for first place. But Bottas's defence lasted barely a lap, and Mercedes seemed out of ideas once Verstappen slipped through. It missed several opportunities to get creative with strategy, and in the end it acquiesced, ran its standard two-stop race, and banked a consolation point for fastest lap with a late third stop. Was there more on the table for Mercedes, or was Red Bull Racing simply too quick all weekend? To help decipher F1's first Dutch Grand Prix in 36 years, and I suspect some people in the crowd will be feeling the effects of the celebrations for 36 years at least, I'm joined by Autosport F1 reporter Luke Smith. Luke, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, Michael. Yeah, it was a fantastic weekend. Like, so enjoyable for everyone at Zandvoort. Just a really, really cool atmosphere. I think it's already become a bucket list... Pe- mm. uh, sorry, it's already become a bucket list race for so many people just because of how... how- cool the atmosphere was and uh yeah maybe not the most thrilling race but i think quite interesting on the strategy front so that uh that that at least gives us something to talk about unlike the uh, previously planned podcast for belgium <laughs> that could have been a real sleeper of a success the belgian grand prix episode i think but i suspect the fans of the at the dutch grand prix would have had a good time no matter if the cars didn't <laughs> yeah. turn up at all no matter if it had rained out i think they would have just had a cracking time regardless i do want to start with talking about zandvoort essentially new to the calendar let's say I know it appeared in a previous guys some 36 years ago, but freshly reprofiled specifically for Formula One. Uh, and it presented a really a unique challenge. It was sort of twisty, and I, I know this was the phrase of the weekend, I want to limit its use, but old school. But the banked corners, I think we probably can't talk about too much because not only was that essentially new to Formula One or, pr- or very unusual in, t- in terms of the current calendar, but... Turn three in particular was really the crux of the difference between Red Bull Racing and Mercedes. And so the banking really did play a role. Yeah, big time. Yeah, as you said, it's not really a a challenge that the F1 teams would normally be dealing with. I mean, you think of bank corners in F1 and you think of Indy, which obviously last was on the calendar in 2007. So it's not really a thing we've seen in modern day F1. So yeah, it was a new challenge for them. And Mercedes, they're very open about the struggles they had through that corner. They said that they reckon they lost around nearly two tenths of a second of Verstappen in qualifying alone. And obviously the gap for pole uh, between Hamilton and Verstappen was uh, four hundredths of a second in the end. So that would have been the difference. And yeah, it was a real challenge. And it was interesting to see the drivers sort of trying to find the right line to take through that corner. And uh, obviously because of how truncated practice was, it was very hard for them to actually find out straight away. And uh, yeah, I think in the end most of them cracked that it was the high line that you wanted to take just keeping a a wheel within track limits which wonderfully is a word we didn't hear used at (laughs) all over the weekend but it was a yeah it was a really interesting challenge and uh, obviously those corners it was always gonna be really tough particularly on the on the left front tire i think because because of the uh the the circuit configuration and we did see the the aws graphic popped up i think Mm. a few laps into verstappen's uh hard tire stint he said he's only got 10 percent of his hard tire (laughs) left and everyone's kind of thinking i'm not sure about that but it, it did sum up the challenge that that was where 
that was where the real pressure was going to be put on the tyres. And in Mercedes' case, I mean, there was just something about its car that didn't work with those bank corners. And that might have been the difference between victory and defeat at Zandvoort. The strategy report is normally a fan of condensing practice. I'm glad we've been moving in that direction in the last couple of years because too much practice does tend to produce more predictable results. We know Formula One teams are already so good at preparing pre-race and the fact that essentially not very much went wrong for any of the teams, although there's a little bit of question mark against the Mercedes power units coping with the banking after this weekend. But that's really all down to the fact that so much preparation happens at at the headquarters, behind the scenes and simulation, all that kind of stuff. Everyone kind of knows the challenge they're facing. But I do want to talk in particular about Lewis Hamilton essentially missing all of FP2 with an engine problem. It felt like it really left him and more broadly, the Mercedes team on the back foot. I know Valtteri Bottas was out there, but he was running two programs at once. And with no disrespect to Valtteri Bottas, he is off the pace of Lewis Hamilton. He's not at the limit of the car in the same way Lewis is. How much of an effect did that missing, what is typically the most important practice session of a weekend, second practice, right at the time of the race and qualifying, how important was that on on Mercedes' ultimate outcome where it felt like Maybe there was pace in that car to me anyway, but they just never seemed to unlock it. Yeah, it definitely had a big impact. And I think it wasn't really until probably Q3, actually, that Mercedes got to fit the car with low fuel, hard tire, hot tyres, sorry, have everything sort of primed and ready to go and fully understand what was going on with the circuit. And even over the, yeah, the long runs for Hamilton, they just didn't really get. They managed to do some running, obviously, in F- FP3 with him. But it's, again, it just, it, it's the kind of, particularly a track like Zandvoort and a new track where you need that confidence. You need to sort of know both for the driver behind the wheel, but also on the pit wall, like, okay, how are we going to approach strategy and things like that, that um, there was just none of that confidence being built up. And Andrew Shovlin, who's Mercedes trackside engineering director, he said that they were a bit behind the curve all weekend. They were kind of always on the back foot, really. And there were just these little lapses that didn't quite work. Uh, he said that there was uh, maybe the simulator that they had set up for Zanvor in terms of, sort of the balance of the car. It was maybe a little bit off compared to what they actually found was was the true case. So it's little things like that that, yeah, I think, did mark a, a pretty big setback for Mercedes and meant that the team just was always, uh, yeah, sort of chasing its tail a little bit. So I think it had a big impact. Again, it does show what the condensed practice sessions, I mean, how much of an impact it has when you do lose running time. Uh, Total Wolf, he suggested um, after FP1, so before Hamilton had his issue, that maybe they should perhaps review the red flag rules in practice as well. Maybe it should be that the clock does stop so you get all of the time you need. Uh, because obviously, yeah, the, the slow recovery of Sebastian Vettel's car, that ate mm-hmm. up most of FP1 and then Hamilton lost all of FP2. So it was, uh, yeah... Yeah, pretty, pretty. I think uh, pretty disruptive starts the weekend for Mercedes that maybe never quite recovered from. Interesting to think how many disruptions we got in practice. It was four red flags, I think, over three practice sessions and a couple more in, in qualifying. And yet the race was mm. so incident-free. Strange, yeah. Maybe there's a connection there, yeah. isn't there? Yes. I do I do think back as an aside to the first, I think I've said this before as well, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix or European Grand Prix, as it was oh, called, yes. how anticipation for so much carnage, thanks in part to the support sessions uh, from that round, meant the F1 drivers seemed to take it very easy. They seemed to really drive within themselves. I wonder if maybe next year will be due for a more exciting mm. race or a more uh, let's say on track actiony race action is not a word <laughs> but because they have sort of gotten over that 
uh, let's say, learning phase where they adjust to the demands of this track. But that remains to be seen, I suppose. Disrupted, absolutely it was. I want to move to qualifying now. As you mentioned there, Mercedes really only got things together just in time for Q3. By then, though, Verstappen was really hitting his straps. He had a bit of a scruffy Q3 lap, ultimately, Verstappen. Two upshifts uh, and then a DRS problem on the on the front straight. Still managed to score pole, so everything went well there. But I want to talk about the other side of the Red Bull garage. We will talk about Sergio Perez's race later, but I want to talk about his qualifying only Q1. That's all we can talk about, really. Yes, he didn't get a great Q, uh, Q1 lap first. First Q1 lap, I should say. Strange, though, that I thought... Red Bull Racing left it quite late to send him out for his second one. I know the track was improving quite a bit, but that seemed like a a really unnecessary own goal for them to put so much pressure on him. And then ultimately, he didn't make the flag, didn't set that lap. He was knocked out at the back. Yeah, and I think it's kind of the case for for Checo that it's it's another another weekend where something's gone wrong. And we're getting kind of used to having this conversation with him now on a Saturday evening and sort of been like, okay, well, what happened this time? And it's, it's a bit of a shame because he's been performing, I think, pretty well so far this year. I think he deserves uh, to get the seat for next season as, as they've announced him for. But yeah, it was just a, a number of factors really came together to spoil his qualifying. He, he said it was a bit of a mess and he, he said he was found it really hard to digest that he'd been knocked out in Q1 because for so much of the season, he hasn't been feeling particularly comfortable with the Red Bull car but in in Zandvoort he was like he said he felt really in a good groove he said that he reckons he could have stuck it on the front row of the grid next to Verstappen so he um yeah he he did a I think um he, he was just sort of uh a few factors came together really to cost him and that's a real shame particularly at a track where yeah qualifying was so important and with Mercedes obviously picking up points in the constructors championship extending their lead you really need two cars up there so yeah i agree i think it was maybe a bit surprising that red bull did sort of maybe risk things a little bit didn't play it as safe as they could have we saw that that pit lane obviously caused a lot of problems for drivers if anyone was at the end sort of doing a practice start or slow getting away you, you had to just sit behind them and, and accept that and that's what happens checo in, in q1 as well so yeah a very disappointing i think session for him and that really set the tone for his, his the rest of his weekend because yeah okay it was a great fight back in the race but Mercedes still left Zandvoort somehow extending their constructors championship lead so yeah I think Red Bull needs to look at the processes Perry said there's no one person to blame but it's something they all need to look at and review and just say look let's make sure this does not happen again it is interesting because we do talk so much of course about the hamilton verstappen rivalry and we do talk about the constructors championship as well but sometimes it's not so obvious when you get a nice clear-cut problem that has caused a direct knock-on to the the constructors picture if you like and this certainly seemed like one of the cases but we will wrap up his race in a little bit let's talk about how that race unfolded at the front because we knew this was going to have to be a strategy race. Overtaking was always going to be unlikely around a circuit like this, too narrow, too aerodynamic dependent, even despite those banking, uh, those banked corners, although it'll be interesting to see if the DRS zone is extended next year as the FIA suggested it might be through that last banked corner. But there were a couple of opportunities, I suppose, for Mercedes to try and overcome Verstappen was there. The start was one, but Verstappen had a very good start and that was over pretty quickly. But it was immediately clear, wasn't it, that Mercedes was going to split strategies. I think all idea that Bottas is technically not the backup driver now, the reserve wingman driver, are certainly out the window. That was very much the plan from the beginning with Bottas. Uh, Hamilton stopped early, committing to a two-stop. It committed Verstappen to his two-stop, but it was very clear at this point that Bottas, and he was told as much, that he was not going to be making contact with the race for victory. 
Yeah, which was quite a damning radio call for him to receive. Yeah, um, yeah Ricky came over with the radio and said that, yeah, at this pace, you're not going to be in the, in the fight for the win. And and then even when uh, 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 when uh, Verstappen was closing up on Bottas after his pit stop, and again, Ricky was back on the radio to Bottas and said, oh, this is for the win. But I don't think he meant for Bottas. <laughs> I think he meant for the team. And yeah, it was, it was just a day where Bottas didn't have the pace at all. I mean, it was very early on. He dropped, I think, a good, good sort of 10 seconds back from Verstappen. And there was a, a big march into Hamilton. And whereas Lewis could kind of sort of keep on Verstappen's coattails a little bit, Bottas just never factored into the picture. So, yeah, so it made sense for Mercedes. Yeah, to split strategies. I think it was always going to be the plan. But I think that it was, it was a bit like, maybe a bit like Red Bull last year when they were splitting strategies. Like, okay, you can do that. But if your second driver is so much slower than your, your, your lead guy, it doesn't actually really matter. Like, it's not going to make a huge world of difference. So, yeah, disappointing, I think, for, for, for Bottas. It was a day where he he could have played such a big part in Mercedes' uh, chance for victory. They, they had the numbers advantage because Perez was not in the picture. And in the end, actually... They, they kind of didn't. It was still a, a one versus one battle between Verstappen and Hamilton. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty disappointing, I think. Is Mercedes putting, or have they in this race anyway, where they did have that numbers advantage, which, which doesn't always pan out in races. They don't always have such a clear-cut situation. Sometimes it's been that Bottas has actually dropped out of the, the top three at the race start and they haven't been able to play it. But it did seem like, despite there being several opportunities, and there are a couple more coming up that we'll get to, but... It, say, it seemed like the strategy really hinged on this moment of, of the drivers after their first pit stops approaching Bottas and then Hamilton engineering an overtake or Bottas really slowing Verstappen down. Something revolving around Bottas ultimately blocking Verstappen is, is the crux of that. Was there just too much weight from Mercedes being placed on that? Because it seemed like as soon as Verstappen broke through, and he broke through in essentially one lap, the defence did not last long. They didn't really have any other innovative ideas up their sleeves other than to just play out the two-stop strategy. Yeah, it was a, it was a tricky one because I think that, again, had Bottas been more of a roadblock, had he kept Verstappen back for much longer, and obviously we knew how difficult overtaking would be at Zandvoort, like that, that was pretty clear and had been discussed all weekend. That It was actually, it was a very good idea, but... Again, it was this track evolution that we saw through qualifying and we saw in the race as well, just how much time people were able to gain with the undercut. That actually it meant that Verstappen, yeah, even though he'd done a few laps already by the time he caught up with Bottas, because he had such a big tyre delta with the fresh tyres, he was always just going to blast past. So yeah, it was, again, one of those weekends where I think going into next year, they'll probably look at it and go, okay, we know that, approach maybe they won't need that approach next yeah. year but they will um that that it maybe won't it's not as valuable as it seems in in theory i think because again they have more data they know what the track is like but yeah i agree that was kind of the, the real ace that mercedes had up their sleeve and after that bottas kind of didn't he didn't really factor at all in anything and it was kind of a case well okay how close can lewis get to the sappen can we use the uh undercut can we sort of hope that traffic gets in the way and that slows max down um i enjoyed uh hamilton saying like i'm going to call him noah because uh, the traffic <laughs> just got out of the way and he he meant moses because uh, it was moses in the red sea but um anyway it was uh, something water related <laughs> yeah exactly yeah bible water it's all the same <laughs> but they um yeah it was that was kind of what they were hinging their hopes on and it just it just didn't play out that way so yeah i think that was kind of the big uh the big idea and the big plan mercedes had and in the end it fell apart pretty quickly and it's a shame too because 
while maybe Hamilton in his car didn't have the ultimate pace to take it on to Verstappen, there were certainly windows in this race where Verstappen let us glimpse that there was a lot more pace that he was fundamentally holding back to ensure that he could control the race. There were certainly moments where Hamilton was close enough to try and apply some pressure and if only Mercedes had had perhaps a more aggressive mindset, for example. And I know, you know, ultimately he was stuck behind Bottas for only a lap, maybe two if you include the extension of the dirty air behind. But Hamilton was right behind Verstappen during that period, a a super aggressive undercut admittedly after only eight laps in that second stint. But I'm reminded, for example, of the, the Spanish Grand Prix where a similar thing happened. They had a really short middle stint just to apply pressure on the undercut. There didn't seem to be any inclination on that. And likewise, just after passing Bottas for around eight laps, was still very close to Verstappen, could have applied a bit of pressure there. It just seemed strange that the second stop came only after Verstappen had shown that he could sprint away by sprinting away. it's It just seemed like a strangely soft race from Mercedes. I'm not sure. Even some of the pit stops were a little bit, I don't know, off the boil. And I wonder whether this comes back to the idea that in their heads they felt one step behind for the entire weekend. Yeah, I think so. And there was no kind of, uh, yeah, they didn't sort of like seize the moment. There was no sort of conviction in what they were doing. They they kind of just, as you said, waited for Verstappen to pull away. And they were like, <laughs> oh, we, we need to pit now. We need to react. Uh, whereas, yeah, there were a couple of moments, I think around sort of lap 30, 31, mm-hmm. where Hamilton was within the undercut window and he could have come in and probably would have taken the lead and got that track position. Um, and I think then... I'm obviously like I can't I can't say for sure I'm not entirely sure if he had any spare sets of hard tires or like how that would have been I think Mercedes were a bit uneasy about using the hard because they hadn't done a lot of running on it um and the other thing was that they thought that Verstappen would have to go for the soft tires because again they thought that the hards weren't really a tire that people wanted to be using and they weren't very sure about so their belief was that okay if we go for another set of mediums Max either has to respond with softs which means towards the end of the race he's going to be in trouble or he's going to have to keep going longer on his current stint, that'll give us more time to get the undercut and get the jump by the time that Max does come in for those softs. But in the end, Red Bull literally reacted one lap later, fitted a set of hards, and it was very clear within a few laps that those hards were actually performing pretty well, that Verstappen could easily match Hamilton's pace on the hards. And that was kind of game over, really. So, yeah, it was, I think... Yeah, I do agree. I think they were just a bit behind the curve all weekend. They weren't taking risks. They weren't rolling the dice, sort of being very aggressive in in their strategy, Mercedes. I think they could have been a lot, done a lot more sort of push rebels buttons and try and force some kind of mistake and and to to get in front. But in the end, yeah, it just just didn't work out for them. Yeah, and I think that the hard ties were a really interesting one that certainly harks back to perhaps free practice too, where there was no opportunity for Hamilton to run them. Bottas didn't either. We're not sure whether they would have, of course. Often the hard tyres just don't appear after FP1, but Toto Wolff did suggest that it was just because they didn't have the opportunity to, that they didn't foresee them coming from Red Bull Racing and certainly were not tempted to use them because, of course, stopping aggressively early probably would have required the hards and that seemed to put it out of their mind because they just didn't think anyone was going to use them. And this does actually link back to, I suppose, to Sergio Perez, we'll, we'll bring in here briefly as well, who did start the race on on hard tyres, not for long because he flat-spotted them pretty aggressively. And other than him, only a couple of other drivers had them. But I suppose by the time Red Bull Racing got around to covering that stop on lap 40, 
there was enough data compared to when Mercedes might have had the opportunity to see that the hards were working. And in fact, I think it was uh, Max Verstappen's engineer who noted over radio that while the Ferraris are, are doing all right with them, almost as if, well, if the Ferraris can do it, I'm pretty sure we yeah. can do it, can't we? <laughs> that, that, that old barometer <laughs> that you know is correct, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So I thought there were some data points that I guess can explain that, but it was interesting, the lack of aggression. I guess one final potential mischance but again this speaks to the idea that it seemed like at some point and we heard this from from bono hamilton's engineer as well didn't we that it seemed like it only dawned on mercedes that they weren't they weren't on the pace with max and then didn't think of any alternatives but i can't help but wonder whether you know like a hail mary final stint a late stop on on soft tires because verstappen never really sprinted into the distance only sprinted to a controllable margin would have been worth a shot i mean they could have team ordered Bottas passed he probably would have listened not a guarantee but he probably would have and then applied some pressure late on like that perhaps but it didn't seem to strike them only that the consolation point for fastest lap was what they needed yeah and I think that again that's maybe the kind of thing we might have seen from Mercedes uh, at, at other points in the past they would have kind of said look okay we're behind the eight ball here let's just go for yeah with say I don't know 15 laps to go mm. or something let's do the let's do another stop let's get him onto the softs just to put a bit of pressure on Red Bull so that either they have to respond and do exactly the same thing or we have sort of we, we have a chance to catch up and we can put some pressure on by sort of saying like and if the track evolution has continued on that really upward trend we're going to find loads of time and and maybe catch up maybe do uh what was it hungry 2019 when this happened uh, sorry when hamilton did that third stop and obviously it won him the race so so yeah again it's just that extra kind of um that extra kind of uh edge i guess that sort of was was lacking there really from mercedes they just and it's quite strange because normally it's been such a good team sort of exploring all options and being so sort of on the money with that so again maybe it's the fact that yeah it was a new circuit they weren't entirely sure how to play things or approach things and obviously all that loss running as well but there was no yeah the strategy it kind of just like it was kind of just like okay well yeah we're in this position we can't really do much about it and just get the fastest lap bonus point that was all they could really do towards the end there was no extra sort of like motivation or like extra ideas they just seemed to run out of ideas completely on the strategy front it was it'll be interesting to one one to reflect back on depending on how this season unfolds i want to talk about the teammates here as well because they will play an increasingly important part you'd think as the championship continues to be close uh in both title races in fact valtteri bottas we've mentioned but i do want to bring up of course the fastest lap incident towards the end of the race uh, where he was brought in as a safety stop they detected vibrations on his tires late in the race and I guess everyone still remembers the various tire failures of last year seems fair enough also the banking to be fair probably had some people uncertain but he was brought in for a set of softs there are only a few laps left in the race and was told specifically there would be no fastest lap for him today but it did not prevent him from setting two purple <laughs> sectors and we heard the dulcet tones of James Vowles warn him against it I, I, it's very easy to dismiss afterwards, I guess. He didn't get the fastest lap. Lewis Hamilton came in afterwards and took it, and Toto Wolff sort of talked it down, didn't he? He said it was nothing more than, than a cheeky and understandable uh, situation for Bottas to have a go. But this, of course, is the week where we fully expect, perhaps by the time this is published, in fact, uh, Valtteri Bottas to be uh, moved on. I, I would say there's a very good chance yes. of that, Michael, depending how quick you are in publishing. Yeah. But, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that that is, in fact, the case. Uh 
I wonder how much of a role that will play here because, I mean, Valtteri Bottas, we know for his entire time in Mercedes, he's been one-year deal, so he's already worked with that mentally, I suppose. But for the next uh, eight rounds or however many we have left, he will be a driver on the way out, a driver who will have been replaced. Do you think that that is potentially going to have an impact on how reliable he can be as a a, reserve, a wingman driver in, in Hamilton's battle for the title? No, no, I don't think so. I think that... Mercedes still have a Constructors' Championship to win, and that is still going to be very important. That's something that, yeah, Bottas has got such a big role to play in. And Whereas in previous years, the second driver wasn't really as important because because Hamilton was scoring so many points and had such a big lead over everybody else. This year, the Constructors' Championship probably will be decided by that Bottas-Perez battle, I think. So I think, I think yeah, he's got a lot to do and he's got a big role to play. And Bottas, I mean, he's always given his absolute all to Mercedes. He's never really defied team orders. Like, yeah, you think of... It, may, it maybe is a bit of a, a joke and a meme in F1 that the Valtteri, it's James radio calls. But Bottas has always been very obedient and sort of duly working with Mercedes. And I don't see that changing. I think that, yeah, maybe we might see a little bit more of this where it's a little bit cheeky and he's sort of like playing around a bit but it didn't really hurt things for Mercedes like and he said like I'd lifted off so much that I knew Lewis would easily beat that time and obviously the only thing is that had Hamilton hit yellow flags or had there been an incident on that final lap then it would have denied him that point um after the race he, he said like oh it doesn't really matter which Mercedes driver got it but obviously we heard him on the radio in the race saying oh we've got to get that extra point so it's kind of a a weird um a weird um yeah sort of contrast between those two messages but he um yeah I think Bottas no look he's been very good for Mercedes I think that we do tend to underplay just what kind of role he's played there how good he's been. I think he's been very, very quick. I think he's been an excellent teammate to Lewis Hamilton. And I fully expect that to go all the way to the end. I mean, being frank, like this is probably going to be the final chance in his career to, to win races, to win a Constructors' Championship. So I think he's going to fully, fully help with that. And yeah, I think that he knows what he's got to do. He knows how important his role is in winning Mercedes both championships. So no, I don't expect that to change. I think it's it would be a very sort of spicy story I think if if things did sort of fall out a little bit if we did see Valtteri saying I just want to do my own thing or whatever but uh, no I just really can't see it happening even if it is clear what is going to happen for his future and on the flip side of this and I, I think that's absolutely a good call we've got Sergio Perez who first year at Red Bull Racing seemed like he'd adjusted quickly enough in the first half of the season but has certainly been in what we might describe as an extensive form slump notwithstanding I think that this weekend he did show that he had good enough pace but the circumstances we discussed didn't allow him to show it fully his race was relatively strong i think it's fair to say he was voted driver of the day anyway because he probably made the most overtakes let's be honest he was in a position to do so starting from the pit lane Win all that crypto i'm sure yeah. <laughs> could go up could go down who knows uh he started on the hard tire had a pretty awful flat spot that set him back a little bit as a result, but then ran along pretty much what the strategy would have been either either way, just with an additional stop there at the start to replace that set of tyres. But I wonder, you know, Red Bull Racing has had several years to prepare, I guess, for the Constructors' Championship, haven't they? It's why they keep cycling through drivers, because they're looking for the, the perfect teammate, essentially, for Max Verstappen. We know Perez has at least got another year to go which presumably will at least help him settle in a little bit, maybe aim for next year. But 
How much pressure do you think is going to increase on him this year, despite that contract, given that, okay, we know Red Bull wants Max to win the title. That might even be their number one priority, let's be honest. But they are still there to win the constructors' standings. That's been such a stated aim for them, and that's really the only reason they went outside the pool. Otherwise, presumably, they would have just stuck around and, and let those guys grow up, for want of a better term. How how difficult is it going to be if Perez doesn't improve that form heading towards the end of the season to at least keep the team in with a shout at the title? Oh, it'd be impossible. I think that, yeah, Verstappen, as good as he's been, and even if he were to comfortably beat Hamilton all of the remaining races, it, it wouldn't be possible. No, I think Red Bull, they, they need two drivers scoring points. Like That was the whole point of Perez coming in, that he would offer that sort of uh, that support and that added pace. And he's done that at points this year. I mean, like you look at Baku, for example, that was that was a brilliant performance. And okay, he may have been fortunate in that Max had the tyre failure that allowed Checo to win the race, but Perez's pace was actually so good that there was a point where it did look like he would even undercut Verstappen at the pit stop. So he, um, he he's performed really well on occasion. I think that second seat has taken a step forward. But it is, yeah, the last couple of weekends, I mean, like, okay, Spa, yeah, we didn't get a race. But it was things like qualifying didn't go very well. Um, and then, obviously, the, the mistake on the way to the grid was just that you just do not do that. And, okay, that only cost them... Well, only cost them half as many points as it as it would have, but it's still a little error that you just need to iron out. And it's something that, yeah, I really think that Perez and Rebel, they really just need to sit down and get in Monza and just be like, okay, let's just have a clean weekend. Like, let's have no errors, no issues. Because, yeah, you look at, what, well, Silverstone obviously had the incident in the, in the qualifying um, uh, sprint race that meant that that basically ruined his weekend. Then uh, Hungary had the the clash at the first corner. That okay, he was blameless for unlucky. Spa then went very badly. Zandvoort didn't go particularly well. I mean, yeah, nice fight back through the field, but I should have done a lot better. So yeah, I think there is pressure there because ultimately he is going to play a key role in this constructors' title fight, and Max cannot do it alone because yeah, Hamilton and Bottas think they're still going to be yeah, even if they're coming home second and third every race, that's still a tidy haul of points for Mercedes that Red Bull does need to counter and respond to. Now, before we touch on the other other Red Bull driver, (laughs) Pierre Gasly, who certainly deserves mention here, I just want to touch on Perez's strategy, which was to start on the hards. We'll ignore the fact he had to stop on lap eight for mediums because of that flat stop. Ran until uh, lap 47 before switching to softs, made that, that extra last bit of progress from just outside the points to just in it. I was surprised, given that we knew there would be a difficulty overtaking around this track, and given that we did have a couple of cars out of position, uh, Lando Norris is the exception because he started out of position and did exactly the same as Perez did fundamentally. But, you know, Vettel was out of position, arguably only so much, but still he started out of position. We had some other drivers who probably had an idea for, for a greater haul of points, but so few of them started on a tyre that wasn't the soft compound of tyre, when it seemed obvious that if you had the car pace, you should overcut, jump those cars as they pit out of your way and then exercise some of that better pace. Was it surprising more teams and drivers weren't that little bit more ambitious or does that just come back again to the fact that this is an unknown challenge for so many of them? Yeah, I think so. I think it it's such a, yeah, a new circuit. It's just a thing that nobody's really sort of dealt with before or, or driven on before that, yeah, you. Uh, I think they wanted to maybe sort of play it safe a little bit and the track evolution was so much and obviously it's such a quick lap as well at Zandvoort that in qualifying you kind of had to be on that soft compound tyre. But for those starting outside the top 10, yeah, I think that George Russell, I think he 
for example, was the highest driver starting on mediums. And he looked like he was in a really good spot at one point. Um, it looked like, yeah, he had a, a good chance to maybe now a point before uh, ultimately, yeah, he was, um, uh, Norris was able to sort of recover that position. And obviously, Russell had his time penalty as well. So it was, uh, yeah, I think that, I think it just, it does lend itself to the fact that it's an unknown track. I don't think people were entirely sure after practice as well just how well the medium or hard tyre would hold up in terms of a starting compound. So it did just make more sense just, yeah, play it safe, go with the softs and, uh, and yeah, go from there really. So uh, I think it'll be interesting next year like, if people are maybe a little bit more ambitious. But I think if the track evolution, if, it, if that remains one of the big characteristics of the circuit, then, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be... Um, it's going to be it's going to have an impact on sort of how people approach strategy certainly hope so be interesting to see and look let's finally touch on pierre gasly who i think is a strong contender for driver of the day despite a relatively peaceful drive in some respects i mean he was just at the head of the midfield and maintained himself at the head of the midfield it was verstappen essentially just a little bit further back because of the car i guess you could say super long stint at the end on the medium tires was the key to it or so relatively long uh, relatively early stop fundamentally an undercut to preempt undercuts from ferrari behind uh, he sort of did everything right. It was a really, again, probably Verstappen-esque, we could say, clean weekend for, for Gasly. And, you know, okay, Yuki Tsunoda, he is a, a rookie. This is a rookie year, but he's he's having a couple of difficult races now. And Gasly, on the other hand, is just at such a high level and able to take those kind of strategies, which I think is sort of the mark of a driver that's super comfortable, right? One who can be thrown something that might be a little bit unusual, a little bit difficult and pull it off perfectly. Completely, yeah. And I think that... It just again lends to the discussion of okay, why isn't Gasly in a Red Bull? Like, what has he got to do to get into that senior team? And I think it's a it's a very valid point because after weekends like this, yeah, he was absolutely faultless. Like, he did not put a single foot wrong. His qualifying lap was fantastic in the race. Yeah, he was handed quite a, a difficult strategy going uh, soft to the medium and making those mediums last forty eight laps. Like, it's a big, big ask, but he pulled it off really, really well. And a big part of the, of that strategy was uh, after he pitted, he had to pass Fernando Alonso I mean that's no easy job but he pulled off a really good pass around the outside of turn one not that you'll have seen it on the TV cameras of course <laughs> but it was it was a, it was instrumental to his drive because yeah Leclerc went that much longer then fitted a, a more durable and longer lasting tyre the hards to do a shorter stint so therefore sort of had the chance to really really run that into the ground compared to Gasly but Pierre managed his pace really well he always looked in control never really came under massive pressure from the clerk so uh, yeah again I think I agree it does show just what mature and experienced driver is now that he can be thrown a little bit of a risky strategy and yet pull it off absolutely perfectly and uh, yeah come home with a really really well deserved fourth place finish it was plenty to talk about in the Dutch Grand Prix uh, it, it was an interesting race certainly for the championship an interesting race even just for the spectacle of it I think certainly a lot of people there seem to be having a very good time regardless of whether they realised the race was on or not <laughs> I think they all did, though. Absolutely. They know why they were there and they got the result they wanted. And Luke, what a pleasure it was to talk about it with you. Thank you, Michael. Cheers. It's hard to know whether Mercedes will consider the Dutch Grand Prix as a solid return of points on an off weekend or a missed opportunity for Hamilton to cause an upset. Verstappen retakes the title lead, but Red Bull Racing loses ground in the constructors' standings. It's just another complex chapter in the unpredictable 2021 championship. Thanks very much to Luke Smith for discussing it with me. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race strategy simulator. 
Download Apex Race Manager for free on iOS and Android devices. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report with Google, Apple, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app to ensure you never miss an episode. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you next week for a wrap-up of the Italian Grand Prix.